coming up on Art Palace. I remember walking into the wood shop with a log and a chainsaw. <laughs> Welcome to Art Palace, produced by Cincinnati Art Museum. This is your host, Russell Eyrig. Here at the Art Palace, we meet cool people and then talk to them about art. Today's cool person is Christian Schmidt, our artist in residence at the Rosenthal Education Center. Tell us a little bit about yourself. <laughs> is that a big enough question? Well, yeah, that's... That's a good place to start, I guess. Uh, yeah. I mean, a lot of people will know who I am. I've been around the, this town. Uh, but um, I'm, I'm an artist, and uh, I work at a library now. I'm a library worker, and I was a teacher for many years. I taught college students. But, uh, yeah, I've been just kind of bumping around Cincinnati for well, – I've always lived here, and – made art here and done various things. I've worked with the art museum, I guess, many times over the years doing programs. And I've shown work in the museum, uh, but in that kind of like Ray Johnson way where it's like, I, I feel like I just sneak it in. It's not, it's not officially, <laughs> you know. Oh, wait, I want to hear about this. What are some secret, secret exhibitions? <laughs> oh, not, not. <laughs> well, I will say that, uh, well, no, I won't talk about that. But I, I did. I, you know, I, I have stuff in the in the education center now, and it's like, you know, it's not. I guess you you wouldn't say that it's like in the museum, but it is. It is. In I think the you museum. can say it's in the museum. It, it's sort of like when s someone says, like, uh, "Well, you're not the Frank Sinatra." Well, you're, if your name was Frank Sinatra, right? Well, you're not the Frank Sinatra. <laughs> well, like, well, I am the Frank Sinatra. Lee, to me, I think for the purpose of whenever you make, you know, work on your CV or resume, you absolutely were in the museum for that purpose. <laughs> well, <I'd>, yeah. <laughs> well, that's it shows up on the CV that way. Yeah, definitely. I don't I don't, I don't have like subcategories of where it was. You know, right, it was right. In the museum, but it was also in the bathroom or something. Like that. <laughs> right, 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 um, right. <laughs> it's in the museum. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's technically in the museum, so. But uh, yeah, I mean, I've done, I've tried to work with, I've tried to work in an educational spirit, you know, making work and then uh, making, you know, interacting with people, whether it's, you know, children or adults. And um, yeah, I've been doing that for a long time. And, and now, like I said, I work in a library now, so I get to do a lot of artistic things there. But yeah, that's generally who, that's basically who I am, I guess. That's what, yeah. what I'm doing. I was just thinking about all the sort of ways you intersect with us we're we're recording now in a space that was the former art academy where you went. We're reviewing that this room is actually the bathrooms. Um, <laughs> would have been the bathrooms. Uh, yeah, it seems, seems appropriate. Yeah, right. <laughs> when did you when did when did you go to the art academy? I went from nineteen ninety to 1994. Okay. So it was still like not just physically connected to the museum at that point, but administratively connected to the museum at that point too. Yes. We, we um, did not have direct access to the museum. I, something happened. I, I'm not clear on the, I guess back in the day you were able to actually just walk through a door. Yeah. And you went, you went to the old you went up here too, right? Yeah, I graduated in 2003 and they moved like maybe two years later downtown. Okay. So I was uh, completely up here as well. 
Yeah. So on the first floor, like where the printmaking studios were, there was a door at the end of that hallway Mm -hmm. and you could just walk through that door into the museum. But in my memory, and I may be kind of confabulating here, but in my memory, there was just a chain on that door. Like you could not (laughs) walk through it. Something happened. Now you could walk outside and around and go in the front of the, go into the museum proper, but the the direct access, right. the very direct access to the museum was was not available. Yeah. So I, I remember hearing, I don't know if I'm telling tales out of school at this point, but I know from talking with Kim Krauss about his time at the Academy in like the 70s, mm-hmm. that it was absolutely the Wild West and people would just like, <laughs> just like hang out in the museum in the middle of the night and like drink and stuff. And it was like, insane how little regulations there seemed to be on anything he was like he was like the museum was a very different place then you have to understand like somebody maybe swept the place like once a week you know it was just like it sounds like a totally different world from what we're used to now and probably what had already become pretty different in the early 90s because of course that was right around the big renovation that was happening in the museum probably when you started in school would have right like been a few years before the the renovation was complete i would think right i don't have uh i don't have a lot of memory about that but yeah you're you're probably right and i think what what he was saying yeah that probably was i think we were sort of experiencing the last ripples of that um the the last vestiges of that kind of yeah spirit because I, i i do remember that um I fought, I, I was constantly arguing with certain entities about being able to draw in the museum that mm. we, we had been banned from doing that for some reason. Oh, really? And so like not not to toot my horn, but I do remember being someone who was allowed to do that. And it had been a long time since a student was allowed to do that. So I remember going in like with charcoal, with paper, sitting in front of a thing and drawing it. And apparently that hadn't happened in a long time. There must have been some incident or incidents. Well, um, yeah, you must be a trailblazer because by the time I'm a trailblazer, I, yeah. I was in school, that was like we did that is as part of classes. That was pretty regular. Right. Like in my drawing one class or whatever, we went and set up for a week, you know, in the museum and drew from objects. Right. So Well, you're welcome. I mean yeah. I, 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 <laughs> And again, my memory my memory is is always uh, questionable. I, I'm very transparent about that. But I do remember someone saying to me that it w- they were you know they were lifting the ban or something like that. It was going to be able to happen again. So yeah, yeah, we we definitely had a we had a good time there. And I think that I spent a lot of time in the museum. You know, we weren't able to just walk right in. But I always felt I always thought it was cool that we had a museum. You yeah, know, it was like, you, know, you just had to walk around a corner, essentially, yeah. was what it felt like. Because it was the same thing when I was here. You know, we were physically connected. By then, we were not run by the same administration. But, uh, you know, we still had, like, we were over here quite often because of proximity. And I ended up getting, you know, a, my work-study job in the museum so that I could, you know, just walk around the corner and go to work for a couple of hours shelving books. Yeah, and I, I worked as a guard for, like... Uh... 10 days um, <laughs> <laughs> that long eh? I was really bad at it. I just didn't I I, I I think I was tired um, but I I just think I was really tired because I was doing it like I think we I think it was open like Wednesday nights and I remember sitting on a stool in the room with the de Kooning there was a de Kooning painting and I just remember staring at the de Kooning painting and wondering if it was still wet because it was still so thick and in my mind, I thought, yeah, it's, if you just touch that painting, it would probably be squishy because it was so thick. And, <laughs> um, 
but yeah, I don't. It's for like the what about that point, but like forty years or something, probably. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like yeah, forty years it had been sitting. Yeah, but I, I, I don't think I was a good guard. I think that I just didn't. I, I think I didn't care um, if people like walked off with work. So they, they, they might have, <laughs> they might have fired me. Uh, <laughs> they might have fired you. Well, I've always had a tenuous relationship with, uh, with like um, time, like the amount of time that something sits on a wall. Um, and so maybe in my mind, I was like, yeah, just you know, it can, that, that can go. Something that else can, can go. something else can be there now. <laughs> So they probably caught wind of that attitude, and yeah, they're like, "This guy is no good." But you've had uh, other art-related jobs, didn't you? Work with—I don't know if it was directly with the Namjoon Peck stu- Studio or was it with Solway and in, in association with that? Or? Yeah, I was associated. Yeah, I didn't work directly for the studio, but um, I had friends that worked for for Solway and for and put together um, Namjoon Peck sculptures. Um, so I was in that circle yeah. of people. Yeah, that was an interesting time. I, 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 ne- I never had a job where I, and I've always had like a weird relationship with making other people's art. Like I, I made a, I made a cardboard uh, replica of the, of the robot in front of the CAC. Yeah. A few years ago, and even that felt strange. Like I, I had never done that before. Where yeah. I like replicated someone else's work. Um. So yeah, I don't, I don't know what that job must have been like, but I definitely was in that, was around people that were doing that. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like you told me something one time about like, like hunting for the pieces that would go into it. Was that? Yeah. I've talked yeah. to multiple people who had like, were in some way connected there, so I might be confusing things. Too. Well, I, no, I think I, I think I went on a, I think I went on an excursion with somebody to buy some Crosley's, like okay. Crosley hunting. And, uh, you know, it was, I don't remember a lot about that, but it was, yeah. I mean, we were all kind of in the, in the, he was like a big, he was like a big figure when yeah. I was in college. I think I talked with Mark Patsfall about it before, about his work with them. And it was just seemed very like interesting how much freedom they had to like kind of do whatever they wanted. It was so surprising. He would be like, yeah, I mean, we would get sort of a rough idea and then we'd, you know, we'd put it together. And it sounded like from his his uh, position, it sounded like, Nam Jun Peck was actually more interested in the video work that was happening and like that's what he was doing in New York and then the actual sculptures were kind of like he would be like yeah that looks good and like sign off on it with like usually minimal input <laughs> yeah just the frame around the painting um, yeah, yeah that, that's an interesting uh, I used to be I was so grouchy about Nam Jun Peck when I was younger you mm-hmm. know and I've gotten less grouchy about I just don't identify with that with that way of making but you know there there's certain people where just on the surface when you look like if there I remember watching a, a video of like Frank Gehry just like crumpling up a piece of paper and handing it off to an assistant and saying like make that <laughs> you know and when, when he said make that he meant like a building yeah um, it's like okay there must be like 37 steps between the crumpled paper but you know for effect that's what they're showing or like yeah, yeah, yeah. Dale Chihuly like um, dropping paint on a piece of paper and just saying like all right Let's let's get that into glass, you know. Um, so I, I don't know that. Like as I've gotten older, I've thought, and it's funny. Like as a college teacher, I you're sort of you're sort of like in a time machine because you're often ar- arguing with your your younger self, or like an incarnation mm-hmm. of your younger self. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, it's it's me, but 25 years ago. And I remember arguing with students about. Um, like, oh, the artist, if the artist's hand isn't in every aspect of what they're doing, then it's not authentic. And 
just thinking like, well, there's a whole, there's a, there's a cent- centuries long tradition of the artist studio and yeah. apprenticeship and such. Um, and as I've gotten older, I've thought, yeah, it'd be kind of, inter- it'd be interesting at least to scribble stuff on, uh, on a piece of paper and just hand it off. And then it, it, it appears incarnated as this thing that you had nothing to, you kind of had nothing to do with. But the people that are working for you understand the spirit with which you work. And so they're able to create that. I, so yeah, that's like Nam June Paik. I, I could totally, I could, I could totally imagine that he was like, yeah, just stack the TVs and <laughs> give, um, me a check. Just give me a check. Give me a check. Yeah. Well, I mean, it sounds like you and other people I've talked to, it's like, didn't have any trouble like making these things because you're in that spirit because you also knew like this is not what i would do at all like this is not the work i would be making and it's like a pretty clear like distinction between the work you make and the work that namjoon peck makes and so for you it's not hard to like understand but i think when an outsider is like but that somebody else did that but it's like yeah but they didn't do it for them or like they were doing it in the spirit it's like it, to me, it always reminds me of the animators working on a like Snow White or something. It's like, you know, they're probably would rather be doing something else. So it's like, ultimately, yes, this is like Walt Disney's thing. And it took an army to do it, but they're doing it with that vision in mind. Well, we, we know now that they were doing other things. They were paying the rent, but then they were do making secret, quote unquote, secret projects, you know. Yeah. At night. And, and, and animators still do that. Um, and they were mischievous too. Like, uh, Disney animators are famous for hiding things inside. Yeah. 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 Um, because you know, those constraints are, can be very inhumane. You have, you have to let the steam out in some way. And that's, that's just how they did. Like, I totally understand that. Like if I was Nam June Paik, like if I was 19 and I was Nam Nam June Paik, I would want to build the TVs like that. I would, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be the, the notion of like sending a crew out to find, to find, um, structures for my sculpture. I, I wouldn't, I just didn't get that. Yeah. And I understand why, why, why young people don't get that. And that's, to me, that was one of the f- more fun and interesting arguments that it would come around every single year. Cause I taught freshmen mainly when I taught college. Yeah. Um, I seem to teach freshmen or seniors. So it was interesting to teach freshmen when they're just like fresh into art school and they're like, they've never had these kinds of conversations before. Um, and that's a good one. That's a really, that's a really good one because I think that, it doesn't make sense. You have this person telling you like, well, different artists have different ways of, of getting from A to Z. Mm-hmm. Um, like I remember when I was in college um, learning about, uh, oh, what's his name, who, who um, had himself shot. Chris Burden. Chris Burden. Chris Burden's like later work got very sculptural and he, he had this piece that was about the military and he had like, he had like 5,000 model submarines hanging in this gallery and when I learned that like he hadn't made the submarines, like he had just had like studio assistants put them together. Mm-hmm. And so like from the moment of conception to the moment of, uh, of construction or, 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 uh, manifestation, he didn't touch anything. Yeah. Uh, and uh, that just like, that took me, you know, decades to kind of come to grips with, which, you know, is maybe an evolution of thinking, but, I'm still kind of the same person. I always was like, I, I, I tend to like make things way harder for myself than I need to. The, the, the road is never a straight line. As I get older, that's gotten frustrating and has actually like sort of affected my body and my mind. Um, but as a young person, 
that struggle to come to grips with that I, was was really hard and and is something that I've thought about like for many years. How do you think you make things harder for yourself? Oh man, I mean that CAC project. To I was just was simply asked to make fifteen models of of the Namjoon Pick robot. That ever if you're in Cincinnati, you know that robot. It's yeah, Metrobot. The Metrobot. Hindsight is twenty twenty. <laughs> So I decided I was, you know, because I was making stuff out of cardboard and I was like, this is the expectation. This is why I was hired. Um, but I had a set amount of time and I decided that not only was I going to make all the models out of cardboard, but I was going to make them paper models so that every part of that thing started as a flat piece that was either folded or tabbed together into a three-dimensional piece. This is 3,000% unnecessary. And yet... <laughs> Where my mind was at when I started that thing. And it turned out, I mean, it turned out to be a nightmare and it was no one's fault but my own. I, I actually had wrist damage from cutting things. I was cutting hundreds and hundreds of these pieces. It was, it was stressing me out. And I, I think that I want, I actually want to talk about this because it's like I haven't really talked about it before. And I want people to know, especially if there are young people listening, like young art students or people that are trying to figure it out, just try to keep part of your brain laser locked ask yourself this question is there a more efficient way to do a thing and does it matter <laughs> does it really matter in the end because we, we all do this too we all we all say to ourselves like well i know other people might know but right. i know what right and i think that maybe it's just you know my my um development has been slow i think other people come to this realization earlier where it's like because when i when I got done with that thing, I had, you know, it was months later I was processing it. Um, and I've never, I don't think I shared anything about this project. You know, I didn't put it on Instagram. I didn't really tell anybody about it. I just was like, I was sucked dry by this thing. Um, but like three months later, I was like two by fours. I should have made them out of two by fours. Just chopped two by fours into blocks. Yeah. Put some, put some little dinky doos on them. <laughs> Given it a nice paint job and I would have been done in like three days. Yeah. Two by fours. And I think it was probably me like uh, rehabbing my house and like taking a two by four off the wall and just yeah. being like two by fours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think I definitely, uh, not this. I, I don't even know whether I should share this because I feel like now I'm just, be, it almost sounds like bragging, but I was like, I think I definitely came to that realization a lot sooner <laughs> than you did, Christian. Well, good, good for you. <laughs> I think I came to that realization like after my first year at the Art Academy. Like I remember at a certain point I had a rule that if it didn't fit into my like, uh, the hatchback of like my ford uh escort that i didn't make it see that is that yeah. is so evolved that was a requirement for making work was that it had to fit into my car because after the first year of like having to like borrow trucks and things to get big pieces to school i was like screw this so like if i had to make like if the assignment was you have to make like a four by four painting or mm -hmm. something then it split into two by two sections like everything would be modular so that it could fit <laughs> that is i mean you you have every right to brag about that that's extremely advanced i mean even to this day i go to home depot and i'll i'll get like a a a piece of plywood and just think I'll figure it out once I get outside. 
it'll somehow it will yeah. magically fit into the into the car oh man i remember spending so much time at home depot where i would make them cut stuff up into really specific sizes there and they hated oh me. yeah oh they yeah hated me because of course they're just like trying to chop it down in like the most basic things and be like okay now this one needs to be th- uh 38 and four eighths you know because i'm like gonna take it home and just reassemble it into something so i'm making them just like use their that like ripper to like <laughs> make these fine because i remember at a certain point they're like you know this isn't for like precision cuts and i was like yeah it's fine russell's over in the tool section the staff is like does somebody hear a compressor just turn on he's, <laughs> he's over there uh power nailing a, a, a substrate together for a painting this guy's really getting his money's worth yeah but i but maybe this also just comes out of my own laziness too because that was sort of partially why i uh i abandoned painting and moved to drawing was because uh i realized it was a lot easier just to roll up a sheet of paper oh, yeah. than it was to like have to build canvases and stretch them like after like one semester of stretching canvases and stuff i was like no i'm not this is no I Tube, hate tubes are where it's at baby yeah tubes yeah. are where it's at roll it up <laughs> roll it well you know when i would teach like uh, freshman foundation classes there would always be that student who you'd say like okay cut a cut a circle out of a piece of paper and they would cut the circle out of the dead center of the piece of paper Mm -hmm. instead of like in the corner Corner, yeah and you would have to me it was always like my my sort of like um my poisonous mind would just be like why why can't you figure this out on your own but then the more uh, the more optimist, optimistic, empathetic uh, side of my brain would say, "Well, this is a definite teaching moment and a metaphor, you know, mm-hmm. and just being um, being real and just realizing, well, again, like I said at Home Depot, you're still like buying wood that you know doesn't fit into your car <laughs> because you're lazy. You're just you're lazy in the mind. Like in that moment, you're just like, I'm not I'm not going to um, project into the future and think about how that's going to affect affect you know what I'm." The, the outcome of what I'm doing. And so to me, though, th- those were kind of those little mundane things were actually the best part of teaching. Cause I would say, all right, now check this out. We're going to cut this circle in the corner. Mm-hmm. And now you've, you've not wasted like this whole piece of paper. Mm-hmm. Plus there's at least two vectors on this circle that you don't need to cut. They're connected to this side and to this, <laughs> to this perpendicular side. Um, and you know, did I see the light go on in there? And you know, no, not usually. But <laughs> but uh, sometimes the light is latent. It, it it turns on later. Maybe they remember, like, oh yeah, he was really trying to do a thing there with me, and you know, my first year of school. Yeah, there's definitely. I think there's like probably a lot of those like really basic lessons that I I I totally took to heart in in art school like i mean goofy things like uh gary gaffney's like glue lecture and stuff like that that he would give every year but like i really do think i like kind of walked away with like a good understanding of like there are a lot of different glues out there and you want to pick the right one for the right job and like it's something i think about still today like well you don't want to use that glue for that like that's not that's that's not going to do what you needed to do i mean shout out to gary uh it w- just as just as recently as like maybe two years ago, Gary handed me a jar of glue <laughs> and, and and said, try this. I think this glue is more appropriate for the application that you're trying to do. Really? Yeah. Yeah. He's he's the glue wizard. Yeah. No, he loves no, glue. no doubt. Yeah. Yeah. He had. Yeah. He had like a whole collection there and he like went through and sort of explained. And so, you know, I do think about it a lot at like, of, well, yeah, yeah, we can't use that for this. And like. It's something even like 
when we're doing a summer camp project or something just like a free activity where we just like are going to put out a bunch of stuff and be like here kids glue it to it you know i kind of go like well you can't put those big pom-poms out because that glue is never going to hold this to this and like the kids are just going to be upset because the pom-poms are going to be falling off and it's like it would be better to like we either have to give them a different glue that works for this or just take out the (laughs) pom-poms well and i know i know i've talked to gary about this um teacher to teacher and uh you know even teaching college you would always see that student that would just pull out the old glue stick yeah like i'm gonna attach this to this with a glue right. stick and it's like you know it's like pushing a bird out of the nest you sometimes they gotta fall on their head and just <laughs> you know there's nothing more humbling than you know having a critique and some chunk of the thing you built just falls off in the middle of a critique and you know, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna lie, and I'm sure other teachers would admit this too. Sometimes you know that's gonna happen, and you let it happen. Yeah, yeah. It's, you see the. You see the the omen. <laughs> you see. You see it wobbling, but you you don't say a word. Just like the 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 moment will the moment will happen, and that's where the the that's where the epiphany will will occur. They'll definitely learn it better. Yeah, if it's in the middle of a critique, everyone's staring at it when kerplunk. Humiliation. It's the greatest teaching tool. I remember one critique I was in, a painting critique where whatever I whatever painting I'd made just fell off the wall. And I think there was a visiting artist who made some crack about how being like, well, that's you know, that's a metaphor, you know. And then we didn't talk about the painting and it just sat on the floor and then I sadly picked it up and walked out with it. You know, the yeah. whole thing the whole thing was like a was like a per- performance, but yeah, I mean that's that. There's a whole spectrum of thought on that. You know, when, the right tool for the job. I mean, even like students with like rusty Exacto knife blades, and yeah. you, you're like, you've got to change that blade, and they're just like, "But I don't have money for blades." So it's like, "Well, you can't." Guess what? No Chick Fil A for you today. <laughs> New blades are your destiny. Yeah, they go dull like within five cuts of it. It's like, okay, it's time for a new blade. You got to keep switching them out or it's going to, you're going to, you're going to kill it. It's going to start dragging. You got to do what you got to do. Again, <laughs> again, you know, you know the truth. We all know the truth. It's just, we just don't want to do it. We're, we're, we're worried about the price. We're worried about the time, but you know what needs to be done. Yeah. I think with, with, uh, with, uh, <clears throat> something like a, like a blade, uh, for cutting foam core, it is always just, being lazy about the time because i mean maybe somebody can't afford the blades but they're not expensive it's just simply like i've got to open this thing up and i've got to you know well i tried to game the system too i was like i found like a cheap uh exacto knife brand and i thought i had figured it out i was like oh man for the price of for the price you know for the price of these I get twice as many as Exacto brand, and then right. I was like, "Oh no, Exacto really is a good brand. Like, they, yeah. you really do get what you pay for." Um, so I ended up back with Exacto, but you know, again, that's the journey. You live and learn. Hopefully, you're, hopefully, you're in the moment. You're paying attention. You know, you're listening. You're, you're being observant, and you're using that as a, as a catalyst for your thinking. Um, but like, even when I use power tools, you know you keep using that uh, a circular saw blade even though you know it's way past its prime and then you it goes and it goes and it's rusty and it's screeching and it's not actually cutting <laughs> and then it explodes or it flies off the saw or you cut your finger off and then you're like all right fine I'll go buy a new blade and you put that new blade in and you're like it's just like butter yeah 
and you need to carry that thinking into the future. If you, but for some of us, it's a, it's a heavy load to carry, you know, it's just, it's not easy to, to move with it, but I think hopefully it catches up to you and you're just like, okay, from now on, when the blade is gone, it's gone. I'm going to get a new blade. And it's, that's, again, it's a metaphor for, for other ways of thinking. Yeah, it's also probably like th- like that's like the unfun part of making something too. Generally, is like the maintenance of it and the upkeep. You know, it's like that's like not the the reason almost anybody is there. You know, like you're not you're not here for that. Like you're here for the making, for the doing. And so, like, yeah, it's like that's probably another reason it just gets kind of shoved to the sidelines. It's like, yeah, I don't want to worry about that right now. I want to just make this thing. It's like an, an impatience. I was talking to a former student the other day about you know what. Who who is the most in, in an art school? Who has the most important job? And like, who is the glue? Speaking of glue, who is the glue that holds any art school together? And it's the shop tech person. It's whoever <laughs> that person is because they do everything. Like they get hired to work forty hours a week. They end up working four hundred hours a week. They're not only are they um, supposed to be taking care of all the machines, but they're they're teachers. You know, they they have to be teachers. They're the they're that's the person that's in the wood shop at 9:30 at night showing someone how to how to like you know cut a joint like patiently yeah maybe more patiently it's kind of like it's a lot like being a parent because you know oftentimes the last person your kids will listen to is you but somebody else can say the exact same thing but just because they're new or different or mm-hmm. have a different vibe um your kids are like rap, you know rapt attention to what they're saying but yeah it at the schools I've worked, I've worked in the shop tech. That's the person that's like changing the bandsaw blade. Just these things that no one notices or care. Well, you notice if you notice, but <laughs> you know, there's no expectation that you notice. There's no 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 horn is being blown about it. <laughs> um, the reason why you're cutting that that wood so clean is because that person put the you know changed the table saw blade and just did did those thousand countless things. Um, yeah, and it is it is the most boring. It's the thing none of us want to think about, but you know, you got, you got to change those blades. Well, yeah, woodshop tech never gets to like have these like grandstanding moments that, that like a professor does either. So they, yeah, they totally don't get that glory or that like romantic thing. They're just there you're quietly doing their work. Well, it's such, it's such a more authentic, um, legacy though, because mm-hmm. I absolutely, I'm going to shout out like Jack Hennon, who was the shop, ran the woodshop when I was in at the art academy and um and worked for many 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 years at the art academy became like facilities manager and just took care of everything but yeah. <clears throat> i don't know if he would ever remember this but i'll tell a, i'll tell a jack hennon story just about the humility and power of teaching you know in in places where yeah like again there's no glory there's no there's no spotlight but i remember walking into the wood shop with a log <laughs> and a chainsaw <laughs> And it was like a Saturday morning and I walked right past Jack and he watched me, his, his neck craned and followed me as I walked by. And, uh, I walked over to the, um, to a table, put the log down. I maybe put some goggles on, maybe. (laughs) And, And started, started pulling on this chainsaw. And I just heard from the other side of the room, no. And then, you know, I looked up in that kind of like, Oh, whatever could be the problem, you know, here. And uh, just, which is a, which is a, a reaction that I, as a teacher, I saw many times. And did he say, no, you're not going to carve that log or get, get out of here? No, there was none of that. It was, 
patient instruction. And actually, I don't think I made a single cut that day, which was frustrating to me because it's just like, you know, I just wanted to get into it. Yeah. You know, severed limbs be damned. I just wanted to do the thing. <laughs> and, uh, and so I don't know. Yeah. And I don't know if I ever actually carved that log. I think that he may have successfully steered me away from it, which was always another, you know, that was always another tough conversation as a teacher when you're, you're dealing with a student they have this really specific way or that they want to do something. And in your mind, you're just like, man, if I could just get it through to them and just like, this is the wrong tool, this is the wrong material, or this is the wrong process. You can still do what you want to do, but if you do it this way, it's going to be so much more satisfying or, or the, the thing's going to have more strength, more integrity. And, uh, it's tough. Sometimes you just gotta let they they need to they need to fall on their face. Uh, ho yeah. Hopefully they don't cut their fingers off with a chainsaw. And I'm very thankful, you know, 25 years later that he was there. Yeah. Um, but not only that he was there, but that he took the time to show me how to do that. And I think that that when I think about like that that sort of episode as a teacher, that's really what kept me going through many hard years of just wanting to quit teaching. Just thinking like, well, you know, you, you do make an impact. It just doesn't register sometimes for, for 20 years. <laughs> the the best teaching happens outside of class, I think, with people like mm. that. The, these these people that really that do the real work and hold schools together like that. Something I, I always remember Tony Batchelor saying in uh, one of my classes, which was just like, it was a class all about creativity, which I remember being really cynical about when I sat down for it because I just thought, you're going to teach me how to be creative. You know, like it just sounded so horrible. The idea of like turning it into like a checklist or something of like, this is the process, but one goes about when they want to be creative. Like it sounded terrible. Um, and it was like a really good class. And I learned actually a lot from it. And I remember one, one of his lessons was just like, know your strengths play to them. Like, and I was like, Oh, like, it was genuinely like a revelation to me, even though I don't think I had been, it was something I think I knew um, subconsciously that I was probably already doing subconsciously, but that idea of like, you, every one of us has something we're better at than other things. And there are things we are less good at. And so don't do those less good things. Like, or you know, like if you suck at drawing, you don't have to make this project a drawing, like do something else, like do what you're good at. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> it's like, or it's just like the simplest thing, but it is like kind of a revelation. Yeah. It, but it, sometimes it's sort of like, uh, can you teach someone to not be ashamed? Like, can you, can you, mm. can you like, just don't be ashamed of what you do. You know, I, I've been thinking about this recently in, in just the last, I don't know, three months or something i've been thinking like when i was when i was um 14 or 15 and i was you know start starting high school i was so um singular in my vision for what i was going to end up being i thought i'm just going to i'm going to be a cartoonist or an animator that was my mm. that was what i wanted to do and i had you know chuck jones was my guy i wanted to make cartoons like him and work in a work in a studio and just work as an part of an animation team and that, I really threw my energy into that. I used to do, and so like when we had a, when we had assignments in high school, mine were always kind of cartoony. They were, you know, they were kind of because that that's, and I used to, I used to take a lot of flack for that. You know, it's just like oh here he is again with his with his cartoons, 
And so um, that probably had an effect on me. I probably felt kind of shamed by that. Mm. But, um, and I, you know, I definitely went down different roads. And one thing I've always known, though, is that you you just, you can't make someone else's work. At least to me, it's not possible. My my brain will always course, course correct and, you know, say, this is not natural to you. You, you, this isn't what you're meant to be doing, but there's nothing, there, there's, there's no shame in the game of like trying something on, see if it, see yeah. if it fits. And I think a lot of art students do that. And that's some, that's, that's a, that's a wonder to behold, you know, but I think that with age and dedication, discipline, I think most artists end up where they're supposed to be. You know, you, you become, you gain confidence, hopefully, and you're surrounded by people that don't needlessly tell you that what you do is insignificant or unimportant. Um, hopefully, you're not completely destroyed by art school. If you decide to go to art school, you survive <laughs> that. Um, but uh, no, I think t- uh, Tony's advice is is definitely is definitely true. It's just sometimes the journey to get to that realization. It's not necessarily going to happen when you're freshman or sophomore in in college i remember taking that class too because it's one of those old standbys and yeah i, just, I think it was a required like yeah everybody had to take it yeah i just i think i was a total creep in that class <laughs> i just think i was so um so adversarial uh i'm not going to mention who was my t- i remember who my teacher was and i hope she's forgiven me for if she remembers like probably not but it's probably like my ego thinking that she actually remembers me in that class but yeah i was i was you know creativity why would that's the last thing i need to learn right that's why i'm here baby like yeah. you don't need to teach me that and uh but again that these things register uh latently sometimes i i i I remember being in another class where we had this project where you had to keep a marble moving for 30 seconds without touching it. That was the, and this blew my head off. Like I just, I was like, this doesn't even make any sense. So you don't touch the marble, but it moves. And and I remember we were timed. It had to move for 30 seconds. And so um, you're presented with this challenge, but of course the project is way more than just the simple thing you're, you're supposed to, you're, you're supposed to be pushed into these places that you're that are uncomfortable. And I remember doing this really again, time management, like terrible time management. I remember skipping Thanksgiving. My my mom being furious with me because I skipped Thanksgiving because I had to finish this thing because I had managed my time so badly and I I didn't get it done and when I showed up to present my thing, it like the marble like fell off the table and it it, just, it like I, I basically got an F on the thing. And the teacher, I said to the teacher, like, could I try to do it again? And he he uh, very graciously allowed me to try it over again. And he said something like, look, I watched what you were doing. I watched you in class. I didn't say anything to you. Well, I did. I tried. But you just weren't having it. You got to think differently about how you're going to get this done. Think way outside. Don't think about making a masterpiece. or you know, And th- this is the thing I always try to tell college students, like, you're not going to remember any like this thing that you're that you think is so precious and that you're thinking is going to be like in the in the Louvre. <laughs> it's going to be in the garbage, you know. <laughs> Somebody else is going to pull it out of the garbage and like recycle it into their project. <laughs> um, if you're you're going to be doing so many things, this is just going to be like a, a blink, you know, just just a just a whisper in time. So I did. I I try. I 
totally like changed my thinking and I, I, I stopped thinking about objects and I started thinking about what is the simple challenge here to keep this thing. And I made something that was way outside of my box. And again, it didn't work, but he ended up giving me like a C because I, because I had, you know, sort of really, really tried mm -hmm. to change the way I was thinking, which was kind of the point. That was the point of the whole thing. Well, let's go to the galleries now. And I want to look at an artwork that connects with your uh, installation in the education center, if that's cool. Okay. Awesome. So we are now in gallery 219 and uh, we are looking at a painting that has a real long title. It's called The Artist's Mother, Lula Mae Hinkle, Making Original Quilt by Nan Phelps. I cannot imagine that is the actual title of this piece. Um, this, this, this stinks of museum giving titles to me. <laughs> you, you can kind of tell when they're like so bland and uh, unexciting. I'm sure Nan Phelps, if she had named it, would have just called it mom or something like that. <laughs> Mom's quilt. Yeah, exactly. Uh, a more succinct title, uh, certainly. So I wanted to look at this piece because this is one of the pieces that you chose uh, to be some inspiration for your installation in the Rosenthal Education Center, or REC as uh, we call it, and we'll probably abbreviate from here on out. The painting is of the artist's mother. She's sitting in a chair. She has this elaborate quilt on her lap, and then next to her is this uh, little end table that has a Bible, a portrait of her husband, and a, a vase of flowers. Um, so those are kind of the main images that make this up, um, but it's really, it's like the way it's painted that is what is what makes it so special. So I'm just kind of curious what attracted to you to this piece and kind of if you, what's your relationship with it? Uh, well, I don't know how long this has been hanging uh, in the museum. I know it hasn't been in this room for forever because of this room is relatively new. But Yeah, this installation, I, I, I'm not going to know exact dates either, but it was probably sometime around like, 2014 or 15 something like that when right. this uh, this was redone as a folk art gallery this this was not always a folk art gallery so folk art uh if you aren't uh it, it's kind of a tricky thing to define actually because in general i would say you you might think of it as work made by um self-taught artists uh people who did not go to art school and were not kind of a part of that uh, formal system but then there are exceptions to that too where there are people who are kind of considered folk art that are sort of were trained but then they have chosen to work in this sort of style um so it gets it gets complicated uh, <laughs> but uh this painting uh is definitely a self-taught artist um Nan Phelps uh, was lived in this area as well. Kentucky, I think, is, yeah. is where she's from. Yep. Yeah, and this is my favorite. I'm sure a lot of people say this, but it's probably my favorite room in the museum. Just the pumpkin-colored walls yeah. and just the just the objects that are in here are just the best. I always love that it's right next door to like the most conservative gallery too. Like it's, yes. it's a real yin and yang here. It's oh. a hot, it's a warm, cold uh, <laughs> feeling. Yeah. Yeah. I love this painting and the specifically the hand, her hand is, is the first thing that I noticed. She has this kind of, it's out of proportion. It's kind of claw like, 
and it's just so uh, dramatically contrasted against her dress and just the gesture is so great her face the the little there's a little pop to the smile which is very knowing there's just the big eyes i mean i i could i could rattle off like 276 little details about this <laughs> painting that i love um but no I, lo I love this painting it's very it's such a it's such a humble um just unassuming portrait of someone doing just every day and yet artist you know extremely artistic work you put this up against some of the bigger maybe more male centric portraits that are on the other side of the wall uh this this to me is way more powerful than than some of those it's just you know the the art of making the quilt the amount of time that 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 takes and i just there's just so many little details i mean the the portrait of her husband her little i would you call that a brooch on her mm, on her yeah. neck, on her on her dress. I'll call it a brooch, but I don't know anything. Let's just <laughs> I don't know much about fashion either. A, a pen, so. pendant, maybe a pendant. <laughs> um, and you know, it's a it's a folk styled painting, so the perspective is wonky, and the you know you can't tell if she's sitting in the chair or floating in front of it. But you know, as a as a person who's been a painter off and on, um, like the the transition when the there's a word for this too that I don't know, but the little the <laughs> the towel on top of the table mm -hmm. the the way when it when it fold when it goes from horizontal to vertical and folds down i just love that tradition that uh that transition yeah the painting of her husband is just so funny like um if you the longer you stare at it the the again nothing is sort of sitting right in space like yeah the husband is sort of like a tiny man who's behind the table. He's not necessarily <laughs> another painting inside of a frame. Yeah, <laughs> just, yeah. I think it's because he's so he's he has just as much sort of like contrast as she does. You know, like that black and white is like just is like if I was trying to make that look like a a photo and not or you know uh, an actual little person, I would probably put a little layer of glaze of that kind of brown over it or something to make it like a little less high contrast uh he, to make it just a little flatter he's popping i mean he's definitely the reverend yeah. john hinkle is popping right out of there he's <laughs> he's uh but you know i i see all of these as being very in, i mean intention is is usually in favor of the person looking at the painting i can sort of decide what was intentional and what wasn't but mm -hmm. there had to be like when when nan was painting this she had to have a you know, a twinkle in her eye. Just, just when you think about like the act of painting and and the little tiny marks that she had to have made to make the eye, her her father's eyes just doink doink. I yeah. mean, there had to be just I don't know. It's real. It's it's such an endearing uh, painting. It's so there's parts of it that are so delicate, like the lace around her wrists and uh, some of the details in the quilt. It, it's just such a uh, it's it's a powerful painting but it's just it's my it's got my favorite kind of vibe which is it's about work it's about it's about um, an important person but it's not screaming off of a wall it's just but man once you get close to it it's like you can just really you can get in there it takes you on a on a journey for sure it has these like really great areas of intense detail and then they're allowed to kind of rest against these like really 
you know, expansive areas of just like black in the dress and the gray of the wall. And so like when you have those flowers, which are all so detailed up against that gray wall, um, it's just so, it makes them so much more vibrant and active. And the same with the the quilt, which is so intensely detailed where every little pattern is painted, um, it, you know, excruciatingly. And then you just have this like very uh, dense black right up against it. And I love that. I think that's like what makes this painting exciting to me, like the lace you were mentioning. So it's it's such a nice balance of those two, two kind of ways of working. Yeah, well, I... When I made my piece for the wreck, I duplicated the quilt pattern much more simply than what she's got here. But when I cracked the code on the pattern, I was so um, satisfied with myself because um, it's one of those uh, patterns where your eyes can kind of shift. You'll see the um, sort of compass mm -hmm. shape, but then you'll notice the, I don't know if, I think it's an octagon. Um, there's there's different ways of, there's different levels of perception. Like you can yeah. sort of focus on this or that. Um, you know, like a lot of quilts do, there's sort of these overlapping patterns that mm -hmm. contribute to each other. Um, but yeah, it is, the, the quilt is awesome. And, um, you know, what I, what I love about, you know, paintings in general is that you can, you can sort of get in the head of the painter or at least think you are and just think like, she was really into painting this part, but, Eh, when she got to the Bible and had to do the pages, she was sort of like, just, you know, <laughs> kind of, yeah. yeah, yeah. But then there are other parts where she's just like, uh, this is, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna sit here for, for a while and really like throw, throw everything I have at this. Um, like there's, there's like shape, like the wrinkles on her face and then the shadow under her fingers on the, on the hand that's, I guess holding the thread mm -hmm. or the needle. She didn't. She didn't get it there. She didn't nail it. the The color is. It's not. It's not where it should be. But that's okay. But then there's other areas where you're like, wow. Like, um, again, the 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 tablecloth that's on the table is mm -hmm. so delicate and perfect. And then the, the flowers are amazing. Like the. I guess those are mums that are in the vase. Mm -hmm. um, and then the vase itself just like almost disappears. Um, yeah it's the color is so is so complicated and the texture on the floor i mean I, you know i'm just I'm, I'm all over but then like the arms of the chair you're kind of like eh, i don't know eh, eh, not so sure about that so i i can appreciate that it's like a level of empathy because when i make art i'm less confident about doing other thing you know some things more than others and there's some you know my interest um it ebbs and flows sometimes i'm like oh i'm super into doing this and i'm not so into doing this and that's okay. It's it's nice to see that. Like it's very it's very honest. It's very very human thing to see in a piece of art. We actually there's like a kind of a weird story I I've heard that she submitted a painting to be exhibited here at the museum and the museum was so disbelieving that she could have painted this that they sent her to the art academy to be like tested and like to make sure like is this legit and it's just like this world sounds so alien to me <laughs> of like both the idea of like artists just sort of like sending things to the museum to be put into an exhibition not how things work anymore and then also that the museum would be just like we don't believe you made this go next door to our school and like what 
like what i don't like like the art academy has some sort of like artist laboratory yeah. up where i'm imagining nan phelps with like electrodes on her head and you know drawing or yeah, something. she's gonna be tested to see if uh she has uh, acrylic paint running through her veins <laughs> it's such a weird weird idea but you know different it was a different world just like we were saying you know how how the museum was different in the 70s it was you know different in the 50s and everything you know has changed a lot in in all of these ways well i some of my favorite artists over the years have absolutely been affected or uh, inspired by folk artists like i think about someone like margaret kilgallen um who was part of that beautiful losers group. Yeah, she yeah, was yeah. obviously affected by folk art um, techniques and traditions. I, folk art's one of those things where you, it's, it's all about self-awareness. Like you can't, you can't, I don't think you can declare yourself a folk artist or you can't really declare yourself an outsider artist. Uh, and these, these classifications, I guess are important for museum type situations or just being able to put things into categories. But I always, I've always thought I kind of have the the heart of an outsider artist just because this is just me talking about me, but I think I have two qualities that a lot of outsider artists have or, or a lot of folk artists have, but they're not aware of, which is um, obsession and compulsion. Um, just making art about obses obsessively and compulsively about sort of the same things over and over again, uh, which I think I do, but I can't call myself an outsider artist because I'm not allowed to do that. But, right. Um, but yeah, folk art to me is just the the subject matter is usually very is very um, humble. It's often rural. Yeah. And you know, here she is, like knitting a quilt, stitching a quilt together. Um, that's a rather folksy thing to do. There, there's just a there's a dignity to the painting, and and again, it doesn't take itself too seriously. There has to be um, there has to be a knowing wink when you look at the portrait of her father sitting on the table and who knows, you know, psychologically, uh, you know, we can go down the rabbit hole and just think about like, well, okay, he's, he's positioned next to the Bible cause he was a, because he was a, a reverend, but does the scale of the two figures mean something? I mean, mm. uh, what was her relationship with her father? He's gone and the, do the, are the flowers about memorializing him or obviously she's getting the attention. Um, and so who knows, but yeah. you, you can determine how far you want to go with that. But, uh, that stuff isn't so much important to me as just the, just the, uh, the aspects of dignity, the dignity of work, um, the, the notion of, um, like what is an artist and who calls himself an artist and who doesn't like my grandfather, I think was an artist. He was a tool and die maker and machinist. He didn't like calling himself an artist. He didn't like other people or he didn't like me calling him an artist. Mm. Um, but it's undeniable. I mean, th there are things that happen every day that nobody knows about that are so, uh, are, are so, you know, have so much intention and skill and importance. Um, and I, I just gravitate towards that. I gravitate towards things like this, this uh, documentation of a quilt being, stitched together i just think that's so important and worthy of uh being in a, muse in a museum you mentioned like the kind of out of proportion hands and and things and and i'm like one of the things that's made me think of is is just like why is it that sometimes when i see like a, you know like maybe 
a high schooler or something draw a person and everything is sort of like out of whack. And it's like, it may be funny, but it's like, it's not charming in the same way as this. And there's like something that's like, I don't know what it is. Like, what is the secret that makes something that's kind of a little out of whack um, feel charming and not sort of just upsetting? <laughs> yeah. I, I, when, you, when you're in high school and you're working on a self-portrait, and one eyeball is three inches high and the other eyeball is an inch. <laughs> you just don't know what you're doing. I mean, there's no, yeah. there's no other way. There's not, there's nothing charming. There's nothing like intentional about that. It's just like, you just, you, you just got work to do. But yeah, here the, la the things being out of proportion. Um, again, I don't even necessarily think that it's intentional, but there's, there's a confidence behind it and it, it just works. It's not, I don't, I don't question that. Um, Again, there's a, there's aspects to this painting that the more I look at it, I just think, wow, her nostrils are are red, mm -hmm. and I don't know about that. I don't know if that's working for me. <laughs> um, but man, those eyes are like so intense. Yeah. Um, and it's some it's it's maybe about the dignity and wisdom of age that's coming through. I mean, we all have relatives that that stitch my grandmother made afghans every year and i it just always blew my mind i just would think just thinking about the intricacy of of them and how much time they took and she just made them over the year it was just a thing that she did and i, I was hoping to get like star wars toys and things like that but <laughs> i also wanted i wanted an afghan like i want and finally one year i got one and it was one of the most special things that i've ever that i've ever gotten but you know in in her in her sort of uh, river of time, it was just, you know, a ripple or just a drop. Um, but that, but again, that the integrity of that, like the fact that this is probably her 1000th quilt, it's very, it's very powerful. Well, thank you so much for stopping in and talking with us today about all of this, Christian. Well, you're welcome. It was uh, very fun to do. Thank you for listening to Art Palace. We hope you'll be inspired to come visit the Cincinnati Art Museum and have conversations about the art yourself. The museum is currently open, but please visit our website for the most up-to-date information about operating hours and museum policies. Current special exhibitions are Paintings, Politics, and the Monuments Men, The Berlin Masterpieces in America, and American Painting, The 80s Revisited. And if you'd like to see Christian's installation in the Rosenthal Education Center, it will be on view until October 31st. You can follow the museum on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and we also have an Art Palace Facebook group. Our theme song is Ofran Musical by Bacalao. And as always, please rate and review us to help others find the show. I'm Russell Eyrig, and this has been Art Palace, produced by the Cincinnati Art Museum.